Welcome to the Teaming Against Trauma podcast, brought to you by Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center. My name's Brooke Anderson, and I'm so grateful that you're here with us. We'll be talking about the way child advocacy professionals come together to fight against trauma and the effects that it has on children. From these conversations, my hope is that you'll gain a better understanding of the way the Child Advocacy Center model works and leave feeling inspired with action steps that you can use to better understand trauma and prevent child abuse. This work truly takes a team to do. So now I'm considering you a part of ours. Welcome to the team. Now let's fight together. Hey there, it's Brooke, just popping in to let you know about something new that the Prevention and Outreach team has been working on. We now will have a newsletter that is emailed out to parents or caregivers or anyone that wants to sign up who is involved in the lives of children. Each month, we'll send you an email, just one and no spam, of information that will be useful to you to better equip you to take good care of the children in your life. This is just another way that we can share more information with our community to help build our education and resources to protect children. So subscribe today by the link in our show notes or you can visit our website under education and resources to sign up. Thanks so much for being a part of our team. Now, let's get into our newest episode. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the show today. Hey, Brooke. Thank you for having me on. Of course. I'm so excited that you're able to be here. Uh, Jessica, you work for an organization called SC Van, and I know SC Van uh, does a lot to protect and advocate for all types of victims um, all around the state. But even though I'm familiar with some of your work, I feel like there's still a lot better grasp to have on all of SC Van's work and how y'all do what you do and operate the way that you do. So could you kind of start out by describing for us what the organization you work for does? Um, yeah, of course. Um, so Let's start at the very beginning. Um, SC Van has a pretty rich history um, over the last 35 to 40 years. Um, so Governor Richard Riley's office convened a task force on victim rights to respond to concerns that victims had no rights in the legal system, no right to stay informed of the progress of an investigation, um, no right to know if an arrest had been made, no right to appear at trial, and no right to know when an offender was released from prison. So their advocacy, along with his office um, and the subsequent uh, South Carolina Crime Victims Bill of Rights, enacted by the General Assembly in 1984, um, and it, it just kind of ensured the enforcement of those victims' rights. Um, and actually, it's very interesting to know that um, a lot of states actually do not have a Crime Victim Bill of Rights. So South Carolina is kind of mm -hmm. ahead of the game when it comes to that. So the SC Van or the South Carolina Victim Assistance Network, um, we're a 501c3 organization. Um, so after that act was passed in 84, we were created in 1985 um, in response to 
that mandate for that um, victim's bill of rights. Um, so this said that a network of, of service providers, you know, or victim service providers were to be formed to better protect and serve victims of crime. So for, let's see, over, well over 35 years, I think we're going to our 38th year, I think. Um, SC Van has been the, you know, the go-to agency um, as the voice of victims of crime and, you know, two for, you know, an agency resource um, that has all the information for victims service providers, you know, or the people who serve crime victims. So we fulfill, or I guess I should say SC Van fulfills uh, three main objectives um, to ensure that victims, you know, receive their their rights due to them. Um, so that's to ensure all crime victims receive, you know, access to and assistance from the criminal justice system. We also, you know, want to improve the quality of, you know, services provided to crime victims by victim advocates and other service providers. And, you know, just to ensure that the criminal justice system, you know, adequately serves victims of all crimes. So, yeah, yeah, we we do a lot. <laughs> yeah, and you can definitely say we. You definitely can because you do a lot as well and I want you to get into that in just a minute, but yes. Yes. <laughs> don't feel bad saying that. You're a big part of it. Yes, yes. Well, as an agency, we always say we cuz we're, you know, we're we're small but we might we're mighty, so um we mm-hmm. work very closely together. And, you know, SC Van, you know, over the last 3 decades has made an impressive impact on services available to our state's victims and criminal justice professionals. You know, not, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of times we think it's just victim service providers, but it's not. I mean, we, we help train and engage, you know, law enforcement, um, you know, forensic nurse examiners, faith leaders, chaplains, you know, so we we're able to bring all of those professions together in one room for some of the same types of training. And that's something that, Mm. you know, a a lot of places, you know, aren't fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah. It's like getting kind of everyone on the same page, even just, just even like knowing each other and using the same language and having similar training, like you said, I mean, that's right. So critical. It's just, it like even things out, evens things out across the board. Yes. Um, for people that are serving victims. Yes. We, we try to, you know, a word that Roger and I like to use, Roger Acton is my program director. But we, we like to say, you know, a uniformed response. That mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. you know, we have, you know, law enforcement, a victim, and possibly a first responder chaplain arriving on scene, for example. And, you know, we're able to have this training for them. That way they're all kind of on the same page and know what everybody's role is. You know, that way the, you know, the crime victim can get the best um, service possible. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And they know how each other are responding then as well. Right. A little bit more about like their roles. And it kind of reminds me of, we'll talk about more, but the child advocacy center model and how like we, just believe so strongly. And honestly, this podcast and the reason that I wanted to do it because we're so much better when we're working together and it's so easy to just get in our own lanes and go our own ways. But then if we don't really understand how other people are operating and like what they're bringing to the table and how we can correlate that with what we're doing, then we're not doing things as effectively or 
as well to serve people in the best ways possible that we could be. So I never really connected as much that what you guys do to kind of what we do and that whole like multidisciplinary approach um, to services and to training and everything else. Right. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. Um, Yeah. One thing that, you know, we always say is that you have to collaborate and partnership Um, You have to know who to call, you know, before the storm hits, because if you're in crisis and you need you need assistance, you know, you may not, you know, put all of that together, you know, Mm -hmm. in that moment. So we kind of come in and help, you know, different agencies and and faith communities, you know, just different fields of people come together to you know, to know each other and to collaborate in partnership before that crisis hits. That way, you know exactly who to call, you know, like we always say during the storm. Right. Absolutely. So then if we, um, and you can expand on that as much more as you want, even as we go through the conversation, just referring back to um, SC Van and all that y'all do, but I I would, I heard that you said about the faith-based portion, and I'd love for you just to explain your your specific role within SC Van now and um, help us understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's, ama- it's amazing to watch it grow, to be honest. Um, so uh, believe it or not, we're actually in our seventh year now. Um, so when we look back from year one to even year three, and then going into year seven now, it's just amazing to watch that growth. Um, like when we first, um, you know, got into this work, we, you know, there really wasn't faith-based task force or there, you know, there wasn't, um, you know, chaplain's track, you know, to train first responders, um, things like that. And, and also too, we didn't have as many advocates um, and and different nonprofit agencies, you know, relying on their faith communities. So when this all began, like we knew that faith communities are in a unique position to offer comfort and support to victims of crime. And we know that victims, you know, often seek solace, support, spiritual guidance um, from their faith communities, um, particularly in the aftermath of victimization. so there's a quote I love, and you, you've you probably heard me say this. I can't remember if you were at the um, WEAD conference, but I used it there. And, and you know, I often use it when describing my work. I just, I can't give you a, a reference on who originally said it. But the, the quote goes like this. It's, uh, the government may compensate for financial loss. The state may order justice. Doctors may physically heal, but the lasting scars of spirit and faith are not so easily treated. Um, and th- to me, that just, that speaks volumes on how important our faith communities are in healing, um, you know, for victims. Um, so basically just with all of that in a nutshell, you know, houses of worship and faith communities are viewed as safe havens or sources of information in times of crisis. Um, that's kind of like what I was talking about going back on knowing who to call in that time of crisis. And this is true for, you know, faith communities as well. And their, you know, their potential role in playing, you know, in assisting victims of crime, basically. Um, So we've found that not only can faith communities provide this comfort and support 
during the aftermath of victimization or, you know, during that crisis of faith or how we like to say when faith hurts, unfortunately. Um, but we've, we've found out that these faith communities, they can also play a critical role in the prevention of abuse as well. Um, you know, faith leaders are in a distinctive position um, and, you know, they're often among the first group of caregivers to encounter many different types of um, victims of abuse, you know, whether it be elder abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, you know, um, you know, they just they they come in contact with the victim, you know, potentially at the beginning of that. Um, and, you know, faith leaders, too, we we've we recognize that not only play a key role in prevention and intervention and, and treatment of many types of abuse, but, you know, their faith communities in general are a source of comfort that no other sector of society can provide. Um, so I think, you know, in all of our work, and I, I feel like I can speak for Roger um, when I say our work with faith communities, we just try to go about our work um, with, you know, all of that in mind that how important, um, the aspect of faith is in that healing journey. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That is so, yeah, so good to hear and kind of learn more about how that came to be and um, just the importance, yeah, that you see in uh, the faith community assisting in helping victims and being equipped to be able to do that. Again, going back to that idea of working together and working on a team and it being more than just a one person's input or working individually, um, but bringing people together under, you know, a certain understanding of why they're there and what they're there for, and then bringing all of their different gifts and abilities to the table to make it stronger and um, most effective at caring for victims. So do you have any um, like kind of examples that you could touch on about how you have been able to assist um, faith communities. I know you touched on a few with the different task forces and that, but anything else to add about how you've been able to assist the faith communities um, or even current initiatives that you're working on or working towards to do that more? Well, you know, of course, it's February now, so it's Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Um, and we're currently working on an event that focus on focuses on this awareness and prevention in different ways. So we're... Um, our primary target is, um, you know, high school teens and their parents and guardians. Um, we're trying to come at this approach, you know, with the parent and the student, you know, together for about half of the event. And then in what we call breakout sessions, that way, you know, we have, you know, field experts and, a, you know, a panel of field experts just for the parents. And then we have like this applied um, drama um, thing for the students to kind of interactively learn, um, you know, these awareness signs, basically these red flags. Um, so that that event's called the Leap of Love, a healthy relationship alert. Um, again, it's a teen dating violence awareness and prevention event, and it's going to be held in, on February 15th okay. of this month. February 15th. And where is it at? Yeah, so it's going to be held February 15th um, from 5.30 to 9.30 at Brooklyn Baptist Church in Columbia. Okay. Um, actually, that's the same church that uh, President Joe Biden just spoke at, I think, last weekend, maybe. Um, so it, it can hold, you know, quite a few people. Yeah. <laughs> so we're hoping that the turnout will be good. This is our first year 
Um, you know, but we're hoping that, you know, it won't be the last year. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so at this event, um, how could people like obviously anyone can go. Um, most people listening are probably more local to the low country, but some may be um up up near the upstate more and <clears throat> um beyond. And also I know that you're thinking about the potential of if, you know, looking at how this goes maybe doing more of these um, in different parts of the state, but how could people get connected to maybe any of the resources that like you're giving out there or just learning more about this? Right. Right. Um, So I guess if they're interested, um, you know, in this event specifically, um, we have shared it, you know, vastly um, on social media, but you can go to scvan.org forward slash leap of love and you can register there um you know for the event um because at the event i mean we're going to have a lot of information um we're going to have uh survivor speakers um i think i mentioned before the applied drama for the students where we actually you know have this drama teacher come in and you know they they act out this play um that helps them you know just interactively learn basically um we're also going to have at the same time a panel of field experts um tailored for um you know the students and the parents um you know separately um so our hope you know is that these high school teens and again um you know this is technically you know targeted in the midlands um because you know, some of our partners are like Richland County School District, too, for example, you know, along with many other um, agencies in the Midland. But, you know, any anybody can come from anywhere across the state. And also over the next couple of weeks on our website, scvan.org, we have a resources page. Um, so once this um, event takes place and we've kind of compiled all of our resources from everyone that's coming, you know, like just different speakers and exhibitors, um, we'll have all of those resources listed on our website. Um, again, scvan.org and we'll, there's an actual resource page. Um, or, you know, you can always email me at jessica at scvan.org. Awesome. So good. Yeah. And I'll, I'll include more of that in the show notes and that information for people to refer to. Um, but I would love for you before we finish up to, to talk about just really the importance of this. Um, Obviously, you know, y'all have put a lot into planning an event like this and just, I'd love you to just explain kind of your heart behind it and um, mission behind why teen dating violence and parents and caregivers and teens being equipped with um, the information and resources of how to uh, process and navigate through this type of thing is so important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So, you know, I I can't exactly quote, you know, statistics to you, but, you know, as most people who live in South Carolina know, we know that our state is one of the worst um, in the country with regards to domestic violence. Um, And we've, you know, come to learn that teens and young adults are the most at-risk age groups for dating and domestic violence. So we were kind of thinking, especially for teens, um, you know, if we can have some type of intervention and prevention, um, you know, awareness, talk, just giving them that information, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the the red signs, you know, the red flags or whatever you want to call them, um, that it might help, you know, 
prevent those rates, you know, as they get older. Um, but I mean, South Carolina is facing, you know, a, a silent epidemic. Um, different re reports show that one in three students, you know, have experienced some form of abuse in the last year. Um, and more than two thirds of students, you know, never report that abuse at all. So that's possibly an even scarier number um, when we know that, um, you know, teen dating violence is so common. You know, it's nearly one in 11 female teens and one in 14 male high school students report having experienced um, some type of physical dating, um, teen dating violence mm -hmm. in the last year. Um, wow. And when we look at those numbers over the last year that, you know, it, it gets scary, mm -hmm. you know, the scary numbers to think about. So, um, you know, we know that there are many ways to prevent this and to be aware of the warning signs. Um, I think we just um, my again, my program director, Roger Acton, he just had the heart to try to put all of this information together in one place for, you know, citizens of you know, of course, South Carolina, but specifically the Midlands, because we'll have um, our different partners in the area and different local agencies, um, you know, in that area able to respond and just, you know, telling people, these are your resources. This is how you get help. This is, you know, how you find out more about this. Um, so, I mean, I'd love to be able, yes, as you, I think, had asked earlier about possibly moving this to different parts of the state. I mean, our, our state is rather large. We have, what, 46 counties. And right now this event is basically just serving one, um, even though, you know, of course, everybody's invited. But so, yeah, there's there's a lot of potential here. I'd, I'd love for, um, you know, high school principals to reach out and say, you know, this is very important. Let's, you know, let's have a, you know, symposium or, you know, small talk on this to my students. Yeah. Um, you know, we have experts, you know, who are trained to do that, who, who are trained to come into the schools, you know, to talk to students about, you know, these, this important issue, you know, yeah. if we, if we reach one and save one, we've done a, we've done our job, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's like, yeah, just hearing those statistics, it's like, Ooh. And then you said in the last year, like, wow, mm -hmm. that, yeah, those are, those are very concerning and that's trauma. Um, likely, likely that's probably going to be yeah. traumatic to a child. Oh, yeah. And, um, oh, yeah. yeah, so it's going to affect them and yeah. we know all the different effects that can come from trauma, uh, then, you know, linking them if they don't have any access to resources afterwards. Um, if unfortunately that did happen for those one in 11 and one in 14, like, do they have access to resources to be able to heal then from that and move forward, um, without, you know, continually, living into the effects that maybe that trauma um, could have right. on them for the rest of their lives, right. you know, that doesn't necessarily right. go away. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, too, the other thing is, is unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of victims of abuse, especially with regards to teen dating violence, they don't know that they're victims of abuse yeah. or they don't, or of domestic violence, whatever you want to call it, because mm -hmm. they don't know what a healthy relationship is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is also very important. Um, you know, as we, you know, try to spread awareness is, you know, not only to say these are all the red flags, but to say, this is what a healthy relationship 
looks like. And if this isn't what your relationship looks like, you know, here's information basically. Yeah. No, I think that's like such, that's really, really important part that I would love for parents and caregivers and anyone working with teens to recognize if we just keep saying, no, 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 don't do this, don't do this. They might be focused more on those things than, than like, oh, is what I'm in healthy and what am I actually looking for then, you know? Uh, So there's green flags and like the good things when we do our training, we have a portion on, on healthy relationships. And we always say like, before we get into um, like the red flags of relationships, let's explore what a healthy relationship looks like. And um, yeah, recognizing that is a really important part. So I'm glad you brought that up. Right. Exactly. Um, Jessica, do you have any resources now that you could point people towards maybe a lot of times like parents or caregivers are listening to this and maybe they have teens or of their own or just have teens that they interact with in their life. Um, Do you have any resources that you could point them towards that could help them get some access to start having these conversations or understanding this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So there's a lot of information um, out there if you look. Um, I know one um, website is um, peacefromdv.org. They have a lot of information um, posted already about, you know, like, um, you know, love is respect and then just different, um, you know, brochures and things on, um, you know, information about dating violence. Um, I know specifically um, for SE Van um, over the next like two weeks, so Basically, after um, February 15th, once we've compiled all of our, you know, resources, um, you know, for our event on February 15th, um, we'll have those posted on a specific section of our website. So, again, sevan.org. If you go look in a couple of weeks, there'll be a ton of resources, um, national resources and local resources posted there on the resource page. Awesome. And Love is Respect, that's actually an organization, I'm pretty sure, right? The- I, think, I, I think it is. Um, I'm pretty sure that it is. Um, yeah. I'm not 100% sure. I think that has some specific information. I'll double check and get it on our show notes um, to add as well. But thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Awesome. And one last thing uh, I didn't prep prep you for this, but I do normally ask um, everyone to explain what their what they would say makes a good team. Like I was talking about earlier, we talk a lot about working on a team um, and we work on a team with the MDT model uh, through the CAC. And kind of why I started this podcast was you know, the name teaming against trauma and working together. And so I love bringing different people on and seeing how you're working through um, the good work of trying to, you know, help people that have experienced trauma or um, prevent them from having to experience it. And so it's all really about working on teams and doing that together. And so what would you say, like any advice you have that any type of team, what is something that they have that makes them a good team? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, especially in our work, um, you know, having everyone on the team be passionate about 
what they do, like their their reason why, so to speak. I think that's very important to have people that, you know, have that that same goal. Um, I think too, just having people on the team that are very good communicators, <laughs> I think is is so incredibly mm-hmm. important. Um, you know, yeah. and just having people not, you know, just listening to hear or listening to respond, but, um, you know, listening to understand what the other team member is saying. Um, so just, I think, you know, bringing people together with, you know, at least those two things, you know, the ability to communicate and a passion for the work, make a pretty perfect team with just about anybody if they have those characteristics. Yeah, no, I love that. What a great response. I really, yeah, I really, I agree. Those are very good things. So thank you so, so much. I'm so glad you got to be on and hopefully I'll get to see you sometime soon. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode on the Teaming Against Trauma podcast. To stay connected, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You can also visit our website to learn more. We'd love for you to subscribe to our channel and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen to this on. As I've said before, this work truly takes a team to do, and that will help us add more people to our team as we keep teaming against trauma together.